0: This is CUNY-TV, the City University of New York.
1: City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars working in the theater. This seminar, play script, director.
2: i Stevenson, President of the American Theatre Wing, and I want to welcome you to our seminars on working in the theatre, which are coming to you from the City University Graduate Center of New York, located in Times Square, right in the heart of the theatre district. This is where the Broadway Theatre, the Off-Broadway, and the Off-Off-Broadway all come together. The Wing is perhaps best known for its Tony Awards, an award that is most coveted because it is given for excellence in the theater, not for the best or the longest run. But the Wing is much more than that. And for example, these seminars which are coming to you are an outgrowth of the Wing School, a school where people like Howard Prince and uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein and Robert Anderson, and legions of, playwrights and directors and performers taught and learned from each other and shared their knowledge and their craft. The Wing is perhaps the longest running ongoing nonprofit organization devoted to service to the community through the theater. Our legendary stage door canteens, our hospital program which continues today And today we bring Broadway, Off-Broadway, live professional entertainment into hospitals and nursing homes so that those who can't go to the theater come to see theater in their auditoriums. Then perhaps our most important program or one of our most important programs is our Saturday Theater for Children program. And this is a program that goes into the public schools at the elementary school age on Saturday mornings. It's professional, it's Broadway and off-Broadway again, and it's the best of the theater that we can bring in. And the children line up and buy a ticket to go to the theater. This is very important. They consider this part of learning how to go to the theater. The teachers contribute their time during the week, and they talk theater. They use the language of theater, and the children make that commitment for Saturday morning to buy a ticket, and no child is ever turned away if it doesn't have the money, but they know that they can buy a ticket and go to the theater. This is creating a habit of theater going. These children, it has already been proven, and it will again be proven by the, their attending theater. As a need, live theater as part of their lives, not because it's a special occasion, not because they have only going to the, they are only going to go to one big hit that uh, has been reviewed successfully, but because they know what good theater is, and they will go to it. And so I will now like to tell you a little bit about the seminars. Today's seminar is on the playwright director, and it tends to explore the importance between the two. And to help in that exploration are our moderators, Jean Dalrymple, member of the board of directors of the American Theatre Wing, author, director herself, and George White, president of the Eugene O'Neill Center also a director. And I will turn the seminars over to our two very capable co-moderators and they will in turn introduce this really wonderful array of talent that uh, makes up our panel today. Thank you very, very much for being here. Well, we
3: really have a very, very distinguished panel of playwrights and directors today, and I'm going to introduce some of them to you right away, beginning with the young lady on my far left who specializes in new scripts. Uh, And she wrote a wonderful article about the value of working on new scripts. Marvelous. Thank you very much for including it in the material you sent me. She's worked on new scripts in um, development stages at the New Dramatists, Uh, the O'Neill Playwrights Conference, the Minneapolis Playwrights Center, and the Repertory Theatre of St. Louis. And right now she has a play that she directed, playing just slightly off-Broadway at the Lambs Theatre, Miss Susan Gregg. (laughs) Next to her is a, uh, a playwright who has worked with her on developing new scripts and whose first play on Broadway was a big hit, and was nominated for a Tony Award, and also nominated for an Oppenheimer Award. Uh, I don't know if you knew that.
4: No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you.
3: I was, I was the one who nominated it. <laughs>
4: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
3: The, yeah. the, uh, the first play, of course, as you probably all know, was Agnes of God, which is being made into a movie. And he has a new play scheduled for New York very soon called Sleight of Hand, John P. L. <laughs> the next playwright is the author of many short stories and a novella also. And uh, he's had his plays done uh, off-Broadway and also down at the Annenberg Center in Philadelphia, a very nice place to start new playwrights, by the way. And he wrote the Tony-nominated play First Breeze of Summer produced by the Negro Ensemble Company, and his name is Leslie Lee. Well, I hardly know what to say about this gentleman. I'm (laughs) sort of (laughs) (laughs) this very young man. I'm sort of in awe of what he has done. Uh, I've loved everything he has that I've seen of his. Uh, He was um, nominated quite several years ago uh, for a Tony Award uh, with the Pirates of Penzance, and. um, And then he was, he won the, uh, I don't mean nominated, I mean he won it. (laughs) And he also won the Tony this year for The Mystery of Edwin Drood. His name is Wilfred Leach.
0: (laughs) On uh, my far stage right, if I may, uh, next to Isabel Stevenson is Arvin Brown, who is the Artistic Director of the Long Wharf Theatre for the past 18 years. And he has staged uh, productions throughout the United States uh, and London and has directed both for film and TV. Uh, He's last represented on Broadway with Joe Egg, which won uh, a Tony Award for the best uh, reproduction of uh, that year. Um, And uh, on his uh, left, Mr. Howard Fast, uh, who... I'm sure you all know, is one of the most widely read writers of the 20th century, uh, with over 60 novels to his credit. That's incredible. Uh, uh, the upcoming Citizen, Tom Paine, is his first Broadway production, uh, although written, he's written plays for off-Broadway and regional theatre and television. So he is brand new to Broadway and welcome, sir, to the panel. <laughs> On his left is uh, James Simpson, who is a graduate of a place called the Yale School of Drama, (laughs) (laughs) where he's also taught theatre. He's co-founder and artistic director of the Cozo Theatre in New York, uh, directed off-Broadway and regional theatre, and uh, citizen Tom Payne marks his Broadway debut. (laughs) Uh, On my immediate right uh, is a gentleman uh, who began with a play called, among his actually best known plays, uh, The Indian Wants the Bronx, which introduced us all to uh, Mr. Al Pacino, uh, and uh, Line, which start unknowns at that point, like Richard Dreyfus and Bernard Hughes. And uh, he's currently represented uh, uh, at uh, Theater 890 in Today, I Am a Fountain Pen, Mr. Israel Harrowitz. <laughs> Uh, I thought that um, I would like to perhaps start the proceedings today with a, a little bit of uh, a question to all of the panel, uh, beginning perhaps with a statement. Back in the, uh, I guess, the early 60s, uh, when Peter Brook uh, sort of burst on the scene with such things as Marat Saad and uh, uh, the uh, a new telling of Midsummer Night's Dream, it seemed to start a revolution in a thing that became known uh, later on in the in the later sixties as the cult if you will of the director um, where we began to have such things as directors saying to playwrights uh, you go over and sit over there for a while and I'll take care of your play and just don't <laughs> bother me and we'll, we'll get it done. And all kinds of things happened. And I think some of the playwrights on the panel have had that experience. And then there's the other, uh, perhaps uh, school of directing, if I will, if I may uh, say, which really relates to taking and becoming a midwife to the playwright's craft. Uh, I think that uh, perhaps we are seeing almost an amalgamation of some of that, and I wondered if uh, someone might like to begin by addressing these kinds of schools and how uh, ex- experiences or war stories or horror stories that you may have had <laughs> uh, uh, with, uh, with these. Uh, perhaps Susan, would you like to address that in a moment?
5: I uh, hold with the school of it's his play, and my job is to get inside the logic of that play, or of <coughs> the playwright's mind, if you will. Uh, I I think as a director I don't know how to do what I call concept directing which is what George was talking about before. Um, I think that happens by and large on the classics when uh, a theater is looking for a new way say to look at Midsummer Night's Dream which is a good example with Peter Brook which I think that concept did fit as did his uh, uh, Carmen. Uh, I wouldn't I I couldn't do that with a new script, I mean, nobody even knows what it is yet. Uh, I think I have an obligation as a director who works almost exclusively on new scripts to do what this guy wrote and not put a a philosophical statement on top of it that perhaps doesn't belong there. Uh, And I have a hard time thinking of it any other way, so I can't address the the first part of the question. I wonder
0: if any of our playwrights have had that experience of having people uh, sort of relegate them to the back row. I
4: see you've
1: yeah, studied. I've had that experience. I won't <laughs> mention any names, though, but, um, <laughs> but I've had that experience. But I think I was relatively new, you know, as a writer. And I didn't quite I was so excited about having a play done uh, that I thought that my job was to sit there and to not say anything and to be a good boy, etc. cetera. Uh, then I realized that um, this was a collaboration. In fact, um, I have a play opening at the Negro Ensemble Company uh, for previews today, in fact. And uh, this is the first time I've ever let a director edit my play without my having anything to do with it. That's Douglas Turner Ward. He and I have worked together before and I think as I matured there's a certain amount of trust that developed between the two of us. You know, and so therefore it's the very first time. I don't know whether... With him, yes, I think I've established that rapport <coughs> and relationship where, where that can happen, where he every word he edited and I did nothing normally. It's my script and I want to edit it, but this is the first time. I hope that it begins a process of you know, with other directors, you know. But, um, you know, this is the first time it's ever happened.
0: Well, now, Will, I know you, uh, I don't know what, uh, you had perhaps the good fortune of not having to deal with W.S. Gilbert, who I hear
6: fairly cranky fellow. His, uh, <laughs> his, uh, his, uh, his followers are, are, are legion, okay. and have a great deal to say about everything uh, you do, in mm-hmm. the case of Gilbert. But, um, uh, like, speaking of the Peter Brook and so forth, I, I believe that most of the directors that I'm acquainted with really set out to do the work that's there, uh, although it may seem to other people a concept. Uh, who knows what Shakespeare had in mind for *Midsummer Night's Dream, so there's no way to do it accurately. Uh, in the case of Gilbert, I, I had always hated Gilbert and Sullivan. Uh, I, I was I, uh, in my high school. I was the leader of the people that w- didn't want to do any more Gilbert and Sullivan, and uh, uh, I was the champion of a uh, Sally Benson play called Junior Miss. So uh, we, we we eliminated uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in favor of Junior Miss and other sparkling hits. And uh, I only uh, I had read uh, some. Gilbert skips and I thought they were always very funny but I I couldn't find them funny when I saw them and uh time came to do it and and I I realized that what I objected to was the was the tradition the way in which it was done uh, and not the work itself on the contrary the more I did the work the more I I came to to love it and um, so I All I did, or all I thought I did, or all I meant to do, was to do what was on the page. And and, uh, as a matter of fact, when we did it in London, the Doyle Hart Theatre was one of our producers. Uh, They found it absolutely faithful, and uh, they were the first to say that, in fact, it was more faithful to the original, to the script, and to the original than what they were doing uh, after this years of passing it on and passing it on and altering it by, by. you know tradition that this is the way you're supposed to do it so uh, i don't know i've never i have never set out to do anything that wasn't really uh, what's on the page it may come out strangely but <laughs> i meant to do it <laughs> uh... that way uh,
3: it was wonderful <laughs>
6: arvin yes um,
7: wilford is a great example of of um... When a fresh approach can enhance traditional material, but I one of the things that bothers me often in the theater, uh, in terms of a reapproach of classic work of any kind or traditional work in the theater, is that sometimes it doesn't give the audience enough credit for I think understanding one of the joys of the theater, which is the reproduction of other times and other places, and finding instant parallels, not by having to impose a kind of contemporary viewpoint on, on that material, but discovering that within the material of, say, a hundred years ago, there is a perception that is totally related to everything we're going through today. And that sometimes it's only, in, in, in my experience, it's only by the kind of faithful reproduction of that world that the parallels really emerge. And that somehow or another when that world is shattered or, or altered or distorted, The parallel is lost and the and the work seems oddly less direct and less relevant a word i hate but i'm sure we'll hear again (laughs) somehow um (laughs) then it would be otherwise
3: i'd love to hear Um, mr horowitz on this subject
8: (laughs) i've always been uh, from the school of playwrights that uh who tell directors to sit in the back row <laughs>
4: <laughs>
8: arvin survived <laughs> and i'm here to tell the <laughs> Um in in fact uh, I, I haven't uh, destroyed many directors <laughs> um, directors seem to me to be our um real partners in this although uh I confess the loving actors as well Mm -hmm. Uh, as testament I have a I founded a theater seven years ago in my home Uh, I live in Gloucester Massachusetts and uh, my partner in the theater is a stage director and with my new plays and I try to encourage my colleagues who bring new plays to the theater to do the same uh, usually the director and I go off somewhere together and play all the parts in the play, and uh, really partner in the thing, and, and, and try to discover uh, an emotional life that we can agree upon. And once we have, uh, then I run back to the text and say, well, if this is the accurate emotional life, then this is what they would say. And the director runs to his notes and says, if this is the accurate emotional life, this is how they would behave. And uh, the last ten years of my life, I've been getting along quite well with directors. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: uh, John wanted to say something. Yeah,
8: I, um, I mean, I certainly am,
9: am of the belief that playwriting is, is as much a collaborative effort as any other part of the theatre is, acting and directing. And I, I certainly feel that uh, it, when, I'm, when I pull my sheets of paper out of the typewriter, if I'm lucky I'm half done uh, with my work, and the, r- the other half of the work, or maybe even three-quarters of the work, happens when I first s- start working with the director and with actors on the piece, because it's such an interactive uh, it's a, yeah. a collaboration. It's one little aside
0: that a lot of people may not know, is that John also is a consummate actor, very, very <laughs>
9: fine <laughs> actor, uh, so that, uh, it, it, that sort of comes naturally oh, to thank John mm-hmm. too, I must say. Uh, I, I how, however, had a question to pose. I mean, I think all of us are going to deplore uh, directors who take their concept and impose it on a new work, and and the work is totally lost in the process, and the resulting production is 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 a uh, horrific slaughter. But what happens if, just for sake of argument, if a director imposes a concept on a new play, and in spite of the protests of the writer this concept actually works and takes hold and s- makes a s- theatrical statement that even may be some something different from what the writer intended is this justified or valid
10: maybe you have the difference there between um the idea of the cult director the idea of it which i think a lot of directors who aren't as talented or skilled as peter Brook took that mantle and then i think abused it and uh you know peter Brook's an awfully talented guy and i think whenever a a great director like that comes onto the scene. You immediately there's a lot of talk about the cult director again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's part of the director's job to you know it's it's a collaborative thing, and like we've been saying, but I think it's part of the director's world work to f- discover the theatrical world that the play can breathe and grow and work in. Sometimes that might be different than the stage directions the playwright uh, mm-hmm. put in the script.
9: I know I, as an actor, have occasionally. Well, I don't act anymore, but when I used to, I. I occasionally would get in a situation where I I really, where the director and the playwright were at odds, and I really felt the director knew what he was talking about, and the playwright
4: didn't. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So what do you do in a situation like that?
0: Uh, I think we're. I don't know. it's not my place to make an
9: editorial.
2: (laughs) Well, a very difficult statement for you to get out yes. I recognize that. But on,
7: You on get to go to all the director parties. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but the director that is, is bringing out something that you didn't intend, the, the playwright didn't intend, uh, mm. isn't the intent of your play, though, is to have that presented in a way that is more understandable or with an a, a another aspect to it so that if the director is right in saying oh, sure. i'm going to do it this way then i don't it's think there's any question this from it the point of the there? playwright
9: you know the directors should burn in hell for <laughs> Attempting something like that. <laughs> and if it works, all the, all the yeah. more.
4: You're a
5: high It's <laughs> also, I think, and John, I actually think we'll be the first to agree, uh, frequently I get scripts where the, the playwright really doesn't know what perhaps the play is about. <laughs> um, they can tell you very frequently, almost always on <clears throat> how the mechanics of it work, you know, what the spine is, what themes are and things like that. But frequently I find on early drafts that they really don't know what you could call the moral or the message of the play is. And I think that that's something that will give rise to an interpretation. I don't think you guys... if If I had to sit down and write a play, I would start out with, "Okay, Susan, what do you want to tell the world? And what is your philosophy? Well that would be a wretched play, it would just be awful, (laughs) it's a backwards way to do it. But as a director, that's what I have to unearth as I'm doing my work, and can bring that back to you. Uh, I mean, we we have one that we've been working on, a a film script that John's been working on, I've been giving him trouble on, Uh, we call it working. Uh, where I, I know for sure what that play is about, bottom line. He can tell me how all the mechanics of it work, but ultimately, <laughs> I'm sure I'm right. <laughs> He's not yet, but he will be. Uh, and I, I think that there's a value in there in exploring what that transaction is about, which may give rise to either an interpretation that you as a playwright didn't have in your head when you started it, that may work. And I think that's what it comes from when it does work.
0: When it doesn't, you're out of luck. Well, Leslie, uh, okay. well,
1: Leslie, and then Marvin. I, I think I'm going to tell an ex-wife story. This is not one of those, you know, it's... it's. But when I was married, uh, my wife would... Uh, I would say, what do you think of this... You know, I'd have her read something. And I'd say, what do you think of it? And she would go on for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 35, you know, if not more. And I would say, wait a minute. That's the story you want to... Right, but that's not the story I want to write, and I think that has to be fairly clear as mm-hmm. to you know in relationship with the director, as to yeah. what the author wants. I and I don't have to be right. I mean, really, I don't have to. Be, I don't necessarily try to be right. I don't. I don't try to answer questions. I'm just asking questions as a writer. So consequently, you know, if it runs contrary to the director's spin, if I if I know if I think I know the play and I feel very strongly about it, I think it's the director's job to enhance that. Even though, if he doesn't want to, if he disagrees, then he probably should do another play. that's
5: when you start
1: asking those questions. Exactly. That's what I think. Uh,
11: A lot depends on the director. There's no such thing as a director, in a generic sense. There are directors. I have seen plays on Broadway that were destroyed by the lack of sensibility on the part of the director. I did a play in Dallas, Texas, where, being very much younger, I flew into a rage and threw the director out, so I don't want you to dare enter this there again. That, that is one part of it. Now another part of it is this, that I have a play now running at Stage West in Springfield, Massachusetts, and every day I'm asked to give someone a script producer or this one or that one wants a script, and I won't give them a script, because between the script and what is playing there on the stage is a world of difference. One is dead, and the other is alive. Now I'm sitting next to a young man, and I hate to keep saying how brilliant he is, because in ten years he'll be impossible, <laughs> <laughs> and writers in the theatre will suffer. Because of this. uh, (laughs) I did a play about Tom Paine, which was sort of loosely based on a book that I wrote 45 years ago. And this play begins in England and it goes to America and it goes through the American Revolution and then it goes back to England and then it goes to France and it goes through the French Revolution. Mm and it ends up back in America. Now, from this description, you would say this is impossible. And it was fairly impossible, but Jim here did a thing that was just incredible to me. He, he turned it into a flowing, fluid object that uh, never said here was the place, but it moved like a thing alive. and. I was as astounded as anyone who came into that theater and saw the play. Well, he could not have done this if I had not given him the play. But at the other hand, on the other hand, he saw things which had to be changed that there was no way in the world for me to see. So in in that sense, it becomes an absolutely collaborative effort. And when People say to me in protest, well, a hundred years ago there were no directors. I don't know. Am I right? right. Well, I can only Just say started, yeah. that the theater suffered. Now, nobody is going to judge Shakespeare by the worst production of Hamlet. Nobody is going to judge Eugene O'Neill by a deplorable production of Anna Christie. But when anyone here on this stage writes a play which could be a brilliant play and it's slaughtered by a director who is insensitive and witless as many of them are more on the coast i think than here <laughs>
4: <laughs> the, the
11: play is put to death you can't put you can't put shakespeare to death and you can't put uh, the plays have shot a death, but a new play can be put to death very easily. I saw this years ago. I saw a fascinating play called The Smoke-Filled Room. It's probably so many years ago that nobody on the platform remembers it. Perhaps you do.
4: Uh,
11: it was directed by George Roy Hill. He yeah. slaughtered the play. He, he, he destroyed it so thoroughly that it vanished two nights later. Never picked up again. So it's a complex subject, but uh, I I am <coughs> old hand at writing. I've been at this for better than half a century, and I've been writing plays uh, to satisfy myself at various regional theaters for the past 50 <laughs> years. And heaven help me if I ever have to do one. Without a director, I simply <laughs> cannot see how it can be
10: done. Very good. If, yeah, if I can make just a comment on it, it's, it's the same thing when I was a. a I'm not a real experienced director now. I'll be when I'm dead, I suppose. But when I was <laughs> first working with a very gifted actor, I had worked and I'd prepared the plan. I thought, well, this is what he should do. This is exactly what he should do. All right? And he came in there and, and he heard what I had to say and he said, yeah, right, okay. And I said, yeah, but you're not doing what I want you to do. You know, you're, you're doing a little differently. I think that he should be more, more, right? He was actually really good, and it was a week into the show after it opened, and I had a trouble with him the whole time. But a week after, I realized he was right, and I was less experienced. I think one of the problems with playwriting, where you get that feeling of burn in hell, is you're not produced enough, so that each chance is very precious, so that you don't have the leisure to, say, um, to have your work bandied about or screwed around or, you know, fooled with. I think... Um, you know, the bottom line is the play and I think it is, it is the playwright. I don't think if the director has something else to fool around with you should do another play and you should say get out leave, you know. I think
7: You know a side uh, issue of this though which uh, is that when you have the opportunity as a playwright to be produced fairly often is that a good piece of material uh, can exist in obviously different interpretations which each, each of which can enhance the basic material. Uh, I just had an experience of opening uh, a production of All My Sons by Arthur Miller. And in conversations with, with Arthur about the play, one of the things that he noticed was that in, in this particular production that I've just done, that the women emerged very strongly, and that there was a tremendous central conflict between the mother and the prospective daughter-in-law coming into the family. In the original production, which Kazan did brilliantly, I'm sure, because he's one of the greatest directors that we've ever had, Nevertheless, his focus and interest was entirely related to the men in the play, so that the play emerged as a tremendous father-son conflict. That kind of difference is amazing with the same piece of material, and I, it's wonderful when a playwright is able to to see different productions of the same work, which can have di- equal and different validities. And, and by extension, I get very impatient with the critical attitude in this country, which often has to e- go into a situation of equating one with the other at all times. So, or, or so that there's not the idea that the theatre is a continuum, you know, and that it should, everyone should have a shot at an interpretation.
8: As a director. If I could add to that, uh, uh, obviously what Arvin is dealing with is a play that uh, had great political impact when it was first written and was written for political impact and has a different kind of political impact now mm-hmm. in, in our time. And uh, as I chase around the world and look at my plays being done here and there, um, I have to pull back. Well, uh, I think any playwright, after uh, a time, learns to, in the first meeting with a director, to ask the question, why do you want to direct the play? Mm -hmm. What's the play about? And I discover that a play of mine like the Widow's Blind Date, a play that's going to be done in New York this year, has to have a different approach when it's done in Massachusetts, where the play is set, and certainly had to have a different approach when it was done in France last season, in French. Uh, it was, uh, to, to a French sensibility, uh, exactly the same play, but to my uh, North Shore, Massachusetts <laughs> sensibility, uh, it, it, it certainly wasn't. But it's very important that a playwright, uh, realize that the audience helps create the play, that, that we are not dealing in film or television, we're dealing in theater, and there are living people out there. And what they interpret is, uh, is a great part of the creation, and, is, and, and it's uh, essential to a playwright that he allow a director to, disc- to, to be a bridge between what he's brought to town and what the town needs and deserves and will have.
3: Wouldn't it be a good idea today to do what we used to do in the old days, which was to get the director and the playwright together and have them go off and work on the script so that they both knew what they were going to do before they went into rehearsal? It seems to me that that was a very sensible idea, and we never used to change a play very much once it went into rehearsal, and it went very smoothly, and usually the opening was marvelous, and that was without going out of town or anything else. And it seems to me as though it, it should be done today, and when I produce and you play, I, I still do it that way.
10: I, think, I agree with you. I think reaching a, a common understanding of uh, the intention of the author and also your intention with what you're going to do with the piece, you have no right to start a rehearsal,
7: you know, yeah. really, until you and do even that.
3: even line changes yeah. and things as you go along, you know?
7: Mm-hmm. But Jean, one of, the awful s- lot done. one of the saddest aspects of that is that the economics at the moment so preclude that, because for the freelance mm. director, Uh, as well as the freelance designer, he, in order to survive, he or she, in order to survive, usually has shows virtually overlapping to be able to make enough money. It's it's so sad that that's why...
3: You pay the director. You pay the director part of what he (laughs) earns. When he's doing that, that's part of the job. We must
7: talk about this, (laughs)
3: I'd
2: like to go back to all my sons. How did you arrive? at at, uh, this different direction, this different slant that the play was going to take some, how many years later. As a director, did you, were you able to to look at this and say, I want to take it with the the emphasis on the women, or did it just naturally emerge that way?
7: For me, I can only speak really Mm -hmm. for myself, for me it always comes from feelings. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's what I feel about a play, and I, I don't usually abstract it until later when I look at a finished production and realize that's what I've done. But I know years ago in New York when I did um, Long Day's Journey Into Night, I, I think one of the most um, specific aspects of that production was Geraldine Fitzgerald's performance as Mary Tyrone, and it had everything to do with what I'd come to feel about the mother in that play, without even knowing really that that's what I felt. Just a mm-hmm. sense, of an emotional sense that the family unit was much more complex than it it had been given credit for being, and that the mother was not a sort of wraith-like, semi-glamorous figure who shuffled around the perimeters of the action, but was in fact uh, an active neurotic along with everyone else in the household, mm-hmm. and that there was a very complex uh, relationship. So I think it comes from feelings in my
0: If I may, this is, it relates to the, the director's craft, and, and I, I see um, how do you make that manifest as a director? How do you, how do you bring that about? We can say, well, it, well, it comes out that the emphasis, well, we're we gonna focus on the women or, uh, uh, with Geraldine's interpretation of Mary Tyrone. How do you, as a, as a craftsman, take that for, articulate that statement, but how do you make that manifest on the
7: stage? Well, first of all, from, uh, I'm sure everyone would have a, f- a comment on that, you but- you start
2: from the beginning? For us, I think it's important. From your first reading on, for it. Well, it's before
7: it? the reading. I think I was just about to say, for me, it's, it, it, uh, in a situation like that, it's largely casting. The first meeting I had with Geraldine Fitzgerald, I knew intuitively that this was my Mary Tyrone from my interpretation of the play, because of a basic, earthy strength and directness and uh, refusal to shy away from complexities that's embodied in that particular performer. So that I think I've, by casting… Geraldine Fitzgerald in that part, I had already made a statement before I ever got near a reading. Uh, that's where it really begins for me. Mm-hmm.
8: But uh, One quick story. I was at the opening of uh, a Pinter play uh, that Zeffirelli did in Rome with Pinter in the audience. And uh, uh, the curtain went up, or lights came on, I can't remember if there was a, there was a curtain in fact. And it became apparent that he had done a play that Pinter had written for two women and a man with three women. And uh, about two minutes of play played, and I thought, oh, this will be interesting to see how, how Harold deals with this, because he's very much a, a gentleman, very much an Englishman. And he stood up in the middle of the audience on opening night and said, stop this, stop this. <laughs>
2: Carriage! Yeah. Oh, Did
11: they stop it?
8: Yes, absolutely. The curtain came down. Oh, uh, no. Good
4: <laughs> <laughs> friend. <from>, uh,
0: <laughs> Susan, you uh, had to use it.
5: Uh, yeah, I think it, at least for me, it, it comes from, and I'm interested to hear that I'm not the only one that does it like that, uh, but it comes from everybody on a production team, starting with the playwright, when we, you know, usually sit down at my kitchen table, if I had a kitchen, and talk about what this play is about. Then if you move on, to, it should be producers included in this, but usually it isn't. Uh, the next person that comes through my life is generally a scene designer, uh, and I'm certainly not against ripping those people off. They have wonderful minds, good ones, uh, and I'll spend a couple of weeks if I have the luxury, and you're absolutely right that <laughs> you usually have to do two or three shows at the same time in order to make a living in this business. but. To talk with the designer if you get a good one, and as you develop a concept, the play starts to emerge out of that. And then I do exactly the same thing, which is go right to actors. I call it the click in auditions. When you sit there, you can sit there for days, and they'll come in and read these monologues and read these scenes, and you think this is never going to happen. You know it can't be cast, and I have no no more words to tell what I need here. But then that person comes through, and it goes click, and it's the Geraldine Fitzgerald story. You're on. Uh, and pretty soon the chemistry starts doing that, and they begin, at least for me, to tell me how the, how the play should be, by, built by who's in it, and who's designing it, and who's sitting across the table. Mm.
2: Mm. And on one of our seminars, we had a young actor, also out of Yale, who said that he auditioned directors, mm. that it was important for him as an actor to know how a director was going to work, and, and it wasn't enough for the director to say, oh, that's fine, I know you're perfect for the part. And he said, no, no, but I don't know that you're perfect for the play in <laughs> directing. I want to know what you think the play should be and how it should be. Because that's a privilege that you can have when you're strong and, and working a lot and, and successful that you Well, and it's that. not
5: wrong. I mean, we get in these things that take us <clears throat> four to six weeks to rehearse, and I mean, all of a sudden, you're married to 20 people. Would you jump into that on just on the basis of one audition or two, maybe, three, a callback? It's terrible!
7: <laughs> of course, cer- a certain kind of honesty can, can backfire. I did a play out of town some, some years ago, a, a new play actually, of Arthur Miller's, and an actor who definitely shall remain nameless, whom, whom I hadn't, hadn't particularly wanted to shall even remain – remain unknown. <laughs> <laughs> both, both! Uh, I hadn't, hadn't really particularly wanted to see this actor, because I felt he was wrong, but Arthur had heard a lot about him, and we brought him in. He had, he had read, a, read the script. And to my absolute amazement, he sat down and immediately said, "Uh, here are the conditions, Mr. Miller, under which I would consider playing this part. And he began to outline to Arthur Miller everything that he thought was wrong with the character. And to my absolute astonishment, Arthur sat and nodded and kept saying, that's but very interesting," he said. "Oh, and you and, and you felt that? My, oh, well, is not? Isn't that something?" And I thought, "I'm in one of those miraculous theater stories that I'll have to tell about for years, where this guy came in and dared say to Arthur Miller uh, that everything that was wrong with the character, and he's going to get that." get the part, you know? And I was thinking, what am I going to say to Arthur about – Anyway, finally he stood up and shook hands all around, and Arthur shook him warmly by the hand and said, it was uh, really fascinating talking to you, wonderful to meet you. And he walked out, and Arthur turned to me and said, who is that son of (laughs) a bitch? (laughs) <laughs> oh, wonderful.
4: Uh, th-
0: this brings up uh, uh, the- uh, sort of the need for a referee or traffic cop, and I think I ought to yeah. refer to my co-moderator here, uh, who has been a producer and a director, uh, about your attitude, to, uh, although I realize this is not a seminar in producing, but, but we are talking about playwrights and, and directors. Have you had, how do you deal with that? If you, if you, you deal with conflict, if there is conflict, you say about the director no. going off and all.
3: No, I never had it, because I always had the director and the, and the playwright get together. And uh, I, if there was anything between them that wasn't right, you know, they didn't like each other, or one had one idea, one had another, I had to change immediately, and I did, uh, several times. I, I even had it uh, when I was doing revivals, you know, I would, <coughs> I, I one time did Forgy and Bess and I took a, a music director because the Gershwins wanted him. and. Uh, I went up to, it was about the third rehearsal, and I saw that he was looking at the score and conducting like this, and the chorus was paying no attention to him at all and kind of giggling. And uh, and my uh, general manager said, I think he's terrible. And I said, I don't think he knows this, so I called up Lee Gershwin and I said, tell me about the background of this man, and she said, well, we heard him do a marvelous Porgy and Bess suite with the Los Angeles Philharmonic, (laughs) and I said, that is not putting on an opera, and I've got to let him go, and you have to back me up, and it was very difficult, but we let him go, or we would have had a fiasco.
9: John. I mean, we've talked so far about directors and playwrights in in a production situation. Um, What what place what kind of relationship should they have or do they have or might they have in a in a pre-production development situation such as you find at the o'neill playwrights conference Uh, well
10: i think that's i think that's interesting and maybe i can put another point that i wanted to bring out actually because when we worked together we did the play at williamstown and like howard said it had all these different countries and had forty eight characters and all eighteenth-century costumes and you talk to nikos and you say well nikos (laughs) Have I got a budget of what? And he goes, uh, you know, maybe we'll give you uh, $200, you know? <laughs> and you go, well, wait a minute, this is powdered wigs and all this other stuff. And, and he goes, goes, Well, you know, Jim, you can work it out, go. <laughs> so then you leave the room kind of going, Oh, no. And then you That's get your true. designer. And Who's the powder? No, really. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the, where we did that particular play and where I've worked on other plays has shaped the play. Um... We, we did that in a 90-seat theatre, and we did it bare-bones, because a lot of it, we had to use those means to make it work, and luckily the play responded to that, I think. Mm-hmm. And there are other places, like, um, I haven't worked at the O'Neill, but the Winterfest, I think, really shapes a play. The mm-hmm. theatre, where it's done, will really inform the play, and it might work out great, and it might be just awful. But
9: even right? these are full production situations, mm-hmm. even though they're bare-bone production situations. What about uh, what about the th- the part of the theatre that before it even gets to a full production? Or a staged reading, or a sit-down reading, or
10: a... That's the scariest time for a director, I think. Because the director, you know, because (laughs) you really, you don't have a chance to put your money where your mouth is. And I was working on, uh, and Will, Will was teaching at Yale, and I had commissioned three writers to work on plays about Lester Young. Uh, and now, around midnight, the movie's come out, but it took a Frenchman to do it. But, uh, and one of the plays, and he... This playwright's very good, and everyone knows him, but uh, he'd written this play, and this is in pre-production. We're banding this one about, and uh, it wasn't very good, because he hadn't spent very much time on it. He just kind of did it. And uh, John Guare was in the classroom, and this is pre-production, and we read the play, and John kind of went, well, all right. And I said, don't worry, it can be great. I can do this with it, I can do that with it, you know, and I can do this, and I can do that. And he said, you are the biggest enemy to playwrights at this point, because you're not asking him to do his best. You're just putting on a wrap and saying how you're going to serve this up and make it a nice souffle out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem with pre-production often is the director is really just a listener or also just a challenge, I guess, a little bit and say, is this really your intention? Well, this is what I think about it. But it's a hard time for the director. I usually just, it, I, it's hard to be active because you really can't say, well, I think it's this look and see, you know?
0: There is a role that I think we've, we're, that has begun to <coughs> develop in the middle here. Um, that might be even the subject for another seminar sometime, uh, Isabel, which is the dramaturg, right. that awful word um, that nobody kind of knows what it is. Uh, that Edith Oliver of The New Yorker said, You know, what it is, is it's like those old washing machines that had a, a crank <laughs> on the side <laughs> with a crank on the side. Um, and, but that, that's what happens in those kinds of mm. situations where there is now a growing thing where there's another pair of eyes and ears that. That uh, contributes to the you know, helping the director mm-hmm. in that early situation, John, that you you talked about, yeah. um, and um, uh, maybe that's that's a, a growing. Yeah, Let's see. Well, I was
1: going to say I think that um, as, uh, to responded, to John. John, I think the pre-production for me is very important. One of the things I just got an idea a moment or two ago about. One of the things that directors have helped me. Uh, one of, once they Douglas Turner Award at the Negro Ensemble Company has helped me the to not cover up a lie, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a tendency, or at least I have a tendency as a writer, or I had a tendency as a writer, not to tell the truth but to want to be liked by the audience. And there was, uh, I had that tendency, I don't know whether there are other writers here. And uh, there are times when you, you can't worry about that, and the writing reflects that, you know, backing away from an issue or, or covering a lie, and there have been other plays written that are very famous plays written where, I, where the lie is still being covered, I think. And I think that my relationship with, with the director or directors has been to bring me out to I tell the truth whether it's painful or not or whether I will need a bodyguard after the show or not. <laughs> you know, and that helps, you know, and I think that's one of the pre production things that, that I need. I need for someone to tell me you're not doing it, you're not telling the truth, you must go for it and go for the gold and suffer the consequences. Have you so,
3: had any experiences that well yes, you'd I like I, to talk I do uh,
1: a
6: lot of both old plays and new ones. Uh, But with um, new plays, normally you have a long period of readings, and uh, then we give a reading and then work on it some more, and give a reading and work on it some more. But once I'm in rehearsal, I I have to get it on. And uh, at that point, uh, I have to make things work that maybe we didn't solve, or Mm -hmm. you know, you do what you do. Uh, But for me, the most important period is the reading period. as far as developing material. And I, I find it I- extremely um, useful, because I, I don't, um, I, I like Arvind, uh, the thing when he says it was an emotional response. Mine is entirely emotional, and I, I don't like to um, intellectualize, uh, I guess because I come from uh, too much schooling. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so the, for me. Uh, the reading is, a, we try to get people who don't necessarily have anything to do with the theater, and we give it a reading, and there's nothing to hide it. You know, I, I don't believe in staging readings or any of those things. And uh, it's either interesting or it's not interesting. I find I either care or I don't care. And the, I find the people who hear it are either engaged or they're not engaged. And uh, there's nothing, there's no, none of those little tricks that you learn all your life Do you use in a reading? As a matter of fact, you very carefully avoid all the things you know how to do, and uh, let the work uh, appear. And I find all playwrights that I've dealt with respond to that. I mean, there's nothing like having to sit there,
4: and have and just
6: have nothing uh, to hide behind, and uh, uh, and to say, well, yeah, you know, Uh, I've never had any uh, any of these collaboration problems, um, essentially because. I, I find that uh, if the writer says, well, this is what it is and this is what it will be, I can just nod and say, oh, yes, well, let's try that, and we give a little reading, and if it works, it, or normally, uh, you know, they're, they're the first to want to alter it uh, if it isn't what they imagined, it was going to work in the way they imagined. So, I always believe in going with whatever the uh, playwright thinks it is, and then, uh, Uh, I don't believe in arguing about it. In other words, uh, if they have... I just nod, and then they begin to worry that I'm thinking something that I (laughs) may or may not be thinking. Uh, The psychology of all creative artists is that they're not really uh, that dogmatic or certain or any right. of those things. On the contrary, mm. I, I find the opposite problem, exactly. that I have to convince them that maybe they were right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, so that uh, it, uh, they're, they're altogether too willing to to uh, give up something mm. rather than try to make it work. Do so I've sub- never had those problems that people speak of.
2: Yeah. Do you subconsciously make the decision between a dead playwright and a living playwright of the play that you want to do? Do you have any preference? No, I I just have to
6: like it. (laughs) No, not at all. I I, I have to just like it uh, or or like the people. You know, I, uh, I, again, uh, it's sort of like my my dog sense is better than my brain sense in the sense that if I analyze something, I'm usually wrong. If I just sort of go with it and say, well, that's what I I really feel, that's what I think I should feel, I'm usually right. So if the script is something that I just just like, then it's pretty good. If I think I ought to, it never works. Yeah.
7: You know, w- Wilfred just touched on something that I think is so important that we maybe could follow up on just for a second, is I find that part of the pre-production uh, relationship uh, director and writer, or even during production relationship that scares me sometimes, is in, in my experience in life, uh, I found the writer almost too yeah. willing to encompass the director's suggestions and and I've been trying over these last years to learn the process of being able to be to make it so suggestive but indirect that it then has to get filtered through the writer's process because it's not my organic process it's his and no matter how much I can intellectualize as you were saying Susan about going to the philosophy and the 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 direction I mean that the 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 gut impulse is his, and if you can't somehow continue to tap that gut impulse, you run into a lot mm-hmm. of trouble, and I find that very hard.
9: But see, I find, from a writer's <coughs> point of view, that when a director comes into a project, he's often the first, he or she is often the first objective eye that I have in this uh-huh. script. And so suddenly, I f- So that I feel, although as a writer, I have attempted to put my soul on paper in some way, as soon as I get the subjective eye in here, I myself try to be as objective as possible, which I have to be, and feel that I'm a baby at this. So that anything that the subjective eye says, I will gobble up.
4: That's
9: uh, true. You know what the... And it's hard to know where the balance
4: is. Yeah, it is.
8: I <laughs> agree. Well, you, you deal with a lot of personalities. I, I was... It's funny. I I agree with everybody on the panel. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, I I was just thinking, I I probably worked with nine different directors last year, nine different directors. And Steve Zuckerman and I did three plays together, so I I go around to a a lot of plays get done. Uh, And and there are danger signals. When a director knows too much, it's very dangerous. Probably the worst of all is when the director is uh, like a, a terrible parent, uh, sort of withholds his love or her love and says nothing and sits in the back of the theater. You think, at first, the first impulse is that that person is a genius. And,
4: and, and
8: then you, over, you overcome that and uh, realize you're, not, you're actually not getting any help. And uh, I guess what I want to say is that there are all theater people not movie people or television people, and and, uh, when you make a commitment, when you put your life down in the theatre as we have, uh, you you define yourself as a a collaborative artist, and and, uh, uh, to say that Peter Brook is a kind of creator or author himself, is uh, he's nothing compared to the most mediocre Hollywood movie director. I mean, he is desperate to interpret uh, your work mm. accurately, mm. and uh, has a feverish commitment to not let it be boring, which mm. uh, is good too. Um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, there, there is, when, when Wilfred says, I've never had uh, any of these uh, horrible uh, things happen, of course the director is always there. It, it's the tree in the forest, uh, and you are there. A playwright very often arrives on the scene and it's too late. Arvind said something I thought was sage. If a director has cast my play and says, come to rehearsal, I'd almost just assume not, because it's too late. I think that once the play is cast, uh, eighty percent of, of the interpretation right. is done. Right. Uh, so, uh, a very clever playwright, if he only has a couple of days to be around the director, g- gets out for the casting and, and uh, sends, sends warm supportive notes from... from well, also, a lot of good talk about the play
10: happens when you're looking at different people. You're saying, oh, yeah. well, this person oh, yeah. would bring this to the now, role, well, what is the role? We're, all we're that? just
2: about to take a break, but before we do, I, I'd like to have you think about this and on, on how your answer will be. How much influence is the playwright going to have on casting? He's sitting there with the director and, and the playwright is there and you're, you're looking at people. You knew Geraldine's work and you looked at her and you knew that that was for you. The playwright, young or not young, does not know the work of, of the performer that is there and is being suggested. And he says, I don't think that's right, I don't think that's the type of whatever. How much influence does he have? How much strength does a playwright have, in, in, in that, at that point, which is very important, as you said, before the director gets at it, you want to know who and, and see what the casting is going to be. Must depend
11: on other people.
2: Uh, to me, uh, I have written endless
11: novels, and a novel is not a play, and frequently can't become a play no matter what you do with it. But in a play, you are writing. Sound. You do not write sound in a novel. And, uh, for example, uh, suppose you say she screams. There are a hundred different kinds of screams. Until I hear that scream on the stage, I am not sure what is happening there. Uh, I cannot see how you can create a play on paper. And while... uh, we should make no comparisons with Mr. Shakespeare. I am sure that half of what he wrote was created by him out of the staging, out save, of the stage.
2: Excuse me, can you save the rest of this for when we come back? I've just been told sure. we are now going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue with this discussion, and there'll be questions from the audience. And I know there will be an enormous amount. So we'll need as much time as possible. Don't go away. <laughs> We are continuing the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre, which are coming to you from the City University Graduate Center of New York, 42nd Street. This seminar, which is part of the programs that the Wing brings to the community all year round, is an extraordinary one. It is on the playwright and the director. The talent and the knowledge and the skills of the people involved are so wonderfully given and exchanged on this program that I don't want to take up any more time. Our co-moderators will introduce them again. But I have to apologize to Howard Fast, who I interrupted so abruptly as we went off the air. And with apologizing, I'm going to ask him to continue his statement and also to tell us a little bit more about Citizen Tom Paine, which is being developed now for Broadway. And with all that Mr. Fast has written, this is the first time he's doing a play on Broadway. So at some point, will you get back to that, Mr. Fast? Thank you very much for being here. Gene Downrymple and George White, would you please continue? Yes.
11: Well, I'll go on for just a bit. The, in the three the three forms of art that dominate today. The novel is a narration in words. It's a narration. The film is a narration in pictures, at its best. Now, both of them use the dialectic of dialogue. The theatre is not a narration. The theatre is a conflict. In words, so you don't have the pictures and you don't have the pages of narrative description. All you have are the words. People who speak these words battle each other, and they battle with words. Uh, in some plays where they get physical, it it rarely works. <laughs> the the ideal theater is words. Now, I am simply saying that. It is impossible for me, and I would imagine for most writers, to know how these words will sound and what their sound will make, what it will move. The theatre is sound. The written page that we present to the actors and the director, this is written word. The two are different. And very often we forget how different the two are. And that—that that is why, for me, when when I give it to the director he has sounds and I have sounds and sometimes the sounds I imagine are better sometimes the sounds he imagines are better or sometimes the words are impossible there's no way for me to know
0: very interesting also I don't pick up what Isabel was uh, saying also earlier um, you said that, that Tom Paine came out of a a, 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 book you had written, uh, 45 years ago. Uh, what made you want to take it from, let's say, uh, have, have you been, uh, obsessed with Tom Paine
11: for you? Or, 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 what,
2: what, uh, um, we obsessed with Broadway. Oh, yeah, there we are. Okay, well
11: said. Sure. Well, you know, you know what I, what I'm obsessed with, uh, during World War II, in that little theater in London that's mostly underground, they were playing Henry. And the interlocutor, or whatever he is called, got up and he said, here are the armies of France. And here's our thin English line of bowmen. And they were bombing London at the same time. And uh, I was told by my British publisher who was there, he said, this was an audience. Swimming with tears as they watched this, and seeing the play subsequently, I saw the I saw the the French army, the ranks of knights, and that thin line of English bowling, and this This is what we can do in the theater better than they could ever do it on the screen, better than it can ever be done in a book see? but it is done with the wonderful sound of words in what is our gift, the most wonderful language ever evolved on the face of this earth. We we have this gift, and it is this gift that produced Shakespeare as much as Shakespeare producing the language which now people were saying. So, uh, in Tom Paine, I had a book which dealt with two revolutions with a very important imprisonment uh, with the preparation for the revolution in America, with the ideology of this man who was to the left of everyone in the revolution, but who as much as anyone created the revolution. How do you do it? And I did it. I borrowed that simple thing from Shakespeare. If you have the words, you anything, you, you can convince an audience, you can have them suspend their disbelief. And they will see an army marching on the stage where there is no army. But at the same time, we had to flow through this long passage of a man's life. Now the film today will not buy a book which concerns the total life of a man or a woman. They say, well, we can no longer do that film, it's for television. But in the theatre, strangely enough, you can still do it. And you can do it well. So. This is what I presented to Jim here. But presenting it to Jim, I really had no idea how it could be done. I mean, I knew it could be done. Here were the words. Here were the scenes. Now, go convince an audience that they are seeing Philadelphia, that they are seeing the Battle of Trenton, that they are seeing every other thing that happened in this man's life.
10: Let me tell you, having him show up. Between us, we uh, did it. (laughs) We, uh, I started working on it, and then Howard showed up, I think, a week after we were in rehearsal. And I'll tell you, I've never, you've just heard him talk, I've never been more scared in my life, you know? Because uh, I, I do think a part of the directing is to, I think when you get an approval or a sign of acknowledgement from the playwright, man, you're home. I mean, the next step is getting it, uh, I think, well, from your actors and the audience, finally, and the whole thing. But uh, I really felt like I had taken Dad's car...
4: <laughs> <laughs> he said,
10: uh, tell you what, you know, we'll, we'll, we don't need all these blackouts, maybe. We really don't need them, I don't think. And as far as this, maybe we, instead of this, we'll just do without this, maybe, and,
4: hope. and then he comes
10: in, you know, and I added a couple of characters and this and that, you know, and, uh, got rid of a little bit of what I thought was the PBS part of it, which mm-hmm. is the problem of the 18th century in portraying that, which is, We think it's all a very stuffy period, but I'll tell you, the 18th century and subsequent reading about it is one of the most vigorous periods around and puts ours to shame. And uh, uh, so then when he came into rehearsal, you know, and I just, I was really, I don't think I've ever been so nervous in my life, much more than opening night. And, uh, (laughs) Like most playwrights, he didn't go, oh, great, or this or that. He just said, okay, what about this now? You know, it is your thoughts that...
11: Well, we rewrote, kings.
10: That's the
0: we
11: rewrote constantly, mm-hmm. and uh, unlike Arvid's experience, the actors made some astonishing, <laughs> astonishing contributions. Mm. Because uh, an actor, uh, without deprecating, an actor becomes the character. That's why... Actors have so, so many problems when they're not in character. They, they become in a way that no one else can become. They become the character. And suddenly they're thinking as the character. And am I doing this or am I doing that? And they do say things, not, not too often, but they do say things that are marvelously valuable. There
0: is, a, there, is a, I, I, there is a famous story about the actor and the director, which again, this is not, but, but it, it does put the director a little bit... No, in a, in a place. Uh, Tony Richardson once said that he, uh, his first time round doing Importance of Being Earnest with uh, uh, Dame Edith Evans, he walked into the rehearsal uh, to find the actors all there, and Edith Evans on her feet, walking all over the stage, reading the, the script, and saying, now I move over there, now you move over here, I'll sit down <laughs> over here, going through the entire play. Uh, he watched in astonishment for about 10 minutes and then said, <coughs> Excuse me, um, Dame Edith. She said, Yes, young man. And he said, oh, I want to introduce myself. I'm Tony Richardson, your director. She said, Oh, how sweet. Will you go sit over there? We'll be with <laughs> you.
2: Mr. Harris mentioned before that we were all theatre people. Everyone is writing and directing and involved and interested in the theatre. Could somebody pick that up and say, despite everybody's complaint about, oh my, the theatre and you can't exist economically, or you have to go off other places for it, you have to teach as they they discussed in the playwrights conference a couple of weeks ago. Why are you all still with the (laughs) theatre? No, <laughs> Do you want to start?
7: <laughs> I'll start with that. For me, it's it's easy. The theater is active, and we live in a passive culture, I think. And there are very few active places left. It's active for the audience. It's active, obviously, for all of us who are doing the work. But I mean, you know, I mean, how the audience feels on any given given night will have a, a drastic effect on the event at hand. How the performers feel, obviously, will have a drastic effect. So that it there is a kind of responsibility and an involvement and uh, it, it isn't a kind of or shouldn't be a kind of sitting back and so much of I think uh, contemporary life is sitting back, so it seems to me.
1: I was a scientist for about 10 years uh, I did uh, uh, cancer research uh, but, and, and research in endocrinology, but my desire to write began to supersede my need to, to, to look through a microscope, and I'd get to work later and later each morning. <laughs> <laughs> I would pretend I was on time, of course, but, but I, so I'm in the theater because I, I made a change. You know, I realized, I think Albert Camus talked about the multiple consciousness theory that we can do more than one thing in a lifetime, and I, I took him up on it and decided to change the profession, although I think I still use the disciplines. But I found the theater the best way for me to express myself as a human being. But it, that doesn't mean that, that it hasn't been rife with difficulties and problems. I mean, I write uh, teleplays as well to, to, to you know, make a living. Uh, although I prefer the theater. I think the theater is... Mm. Uh, if I had the choice between writing a play and writing a film script, uh, I would take a play any time. Despite the money? Yes. Okay. Well, yes. I think
10: it's, I think an answer to that, the why, I don't know if I'll jump in. I'll For just ahead. say it's what Howard said. I think uh, what you can do in the theater is fairly it's up it's up to your imagination the performer's imagination the audience's imagination i mean it's it's and that can be unlimited actually and if you look at what different types of theater the world offers us i mean our palette is unlimited yes. right. and i think it's also what arvin says it's a basic human thing where humans come together and see other humans i mean it's as basic as that yeah
4: yeah
10: and it's it's also great fun when you're doing it <laughs> i mean actually
5: yeah. i think it's also the logic problems involved in how a play works and how you get a play from the page to the stage and to the audience are just endlessly interesting uh, yeah, How does this thing playwriting is the hardest kind of writing there is <clears throat> at least that 's what playwrights tell me, and I expect they 're right. <laughs> uh, other writers tell me that too <laughs> that the just the logic problem involved in adhering to the unities and not perhaps having if you if the idea you have in your mind takes 500 people to execute as characters, how do you shrink that down to five people? Because uh, it likely won't get produced if that doesn't happen. And one set, or maybe two, if you're lucky. Uh, I mean, how you fit all that together—just the geometry of it—for my money is just—it's unbelievably interesting. Uh, and it—it—it's always changes. Every play is different. You know, mm. what is this guy saying, and how do you get it to work on stage, and how do you get it? For this transaction to happen between the audience and the actor, it's just just infinite.
3: (laughs) It's a fascinating life, no matter what part you're playing in it, whether you're an aesthetic designer, a costume designer, a director, a playwright, an actor. It's marvelously fascinating. What about the economics
8: of it? Well, before we get off of this, I'm I'm sitting here listening to uh, it, thinking that um, I wrote a novel when I was 13, and it was rejected. It was praised for having a wonderful childlike quality, but it was rejected. And uh, so I wrote a play, and it got put on, and I got a lot of approval, so I stuck with that. And it's lucky that I didn't get a lot of approval for driving a taxi, I suppose. Uh, And the theater was a place to get girls. But I think that we uh, really uh, try to justify what we do, and I don't think the theater will replace night baseball or cure cancer, but I think if we're responsible in what we do, we can uh, approach people uh, in a loving way and lead them to a higher quality of life and then pass it along to the next group. That's all I wanted to say. I'm very
9: (laughs) well said. you
0: mentioned economics uh, and the economic problems and the the, the pressures that one feels. Uh, John, you have... uh, uh, Cross the uh, uh, lines too, obviously with Agnes of God, of in the, in film and, and theater. You want to address this a little bit, and and why you would why you come back to the theater?
9: Um, I don't know. It sort of depends. Sometimes I w- <laughs> I'd, I wish I didn't have to come back to the theater, but I do. Uh, talk to me tomorrow, and I'll, I'll wish I was doing something else. I mean, I, I'm in a. In an odd situation, because I'm, I am able to make a living with with what I do as a writer. Not certainly not really in the theater so much, but also for for screen and and, and TV. Uh, so that s- um, sometimes I wonder if I'm in an I think there's a reversal trap that you can feel. Sometimes I feel that I'm in the theatre because I can't do anything else and make any kind of living at it. Sometimes I think that if I could make a decent living carrying mail, I would really, really (laughs) like to do that instead. (laughs) Uh, I think that most of the time,
2: uh, (laughs) We're about to go to questions, and again, I – (laughs) dare I I interrupt people (laughs) all the (laughs) time? As I prepare for the questions, I'm going to ask George White, as director, to say one or two words, and also why you're going to China tomorrow.
7: <laughs> Was it something we said, George? Yes.
4: Yes. <laughs> yes, yes,
7: it's
0: called getting out of town. Um, um, no, I, I'm, well, thank you. I am uh, directing uh, an American, I guess it's the first American musical in China, um, and, and we'll be directing. Uh, in. April, well, April and May, uh, production of The Music Man in Beijing. Uh, so I'm going out tomorrow to cast it, which gives me a lot of pause, because I don't know, it'll be in Chinese with a Chinese company. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't lived until you've heard Shibubi in Chinese.
2: Will <laughs> 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 you bring back 24 trombones? Yes, yes. Would you come up for the first question,
1: please? Thank you. my name is Millage Mosley, and, Since we live in a multicultural society where um, the United States is made up of so many different kinds of people, kinds of ways they think and ideas, um, I'm addressing this to Israel Horowitz, (laughs) Um, but what are your ideas about non-traditional casting? And if you do believe in non-traditional casting, could you give us some examples of that, please?
8: Well. It's kind of a sore point, yeah. I, 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 in recent years... Uh, yeah, This all harkens, but Lloyd Richards once uh, asked me if I would cast a play with all black actors. I remember that.
1: Well, I don't mean only racial. I mean gender, male, female, as well as handicap. You know, let's include everything.
8: <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very... It's a very tricky business for a writer to uh, respond to his or her own work the first time around and uh, move away from the dream. Gully Jimson, as the wall fell down, said, this is the, this wasn't the vision I had. And uh, uh, <laughs> y- You have this sort of image stuck in your... Head and you try to reproduce that as as best you uh, can. In recent years, uh, I've tried to uh, write plays that uh, more explore the problem than to try to explore the problem through unusual casting in my own plays. I don't know if that's an answer for you, no, I but. Don't think so. uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've never seen the point exactly of uh, um, getting into a corner here. Sometimes in life you really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think I had to answer
4: your question. Yeah, uh, can
2: I get comments from the other
7: panel?
2: Well, if we have time. Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, My name is uh, Lou Rose and I'm addressing this to any writers who care to answer this question. Uh, Marsha Norman uh, wrote in the Times uh, a letter of, uh, an article of complaint uh, that uh, actors are trying to participate in the writing of plays to the extent they want more or less equal monetary reward and Equal recognition with the writer. I would like to ask any writer who would care to answer whether he's had this problem and whether he considers it a growing problem in the theater.
9: I've, uh, as I said, I really believe in the, in that, that playwriting is a collaborative effort. I was present when Marcia made that. Originally delivered that speech to New Dramatist Luncheon, and it was even, I feel, a m- even a more powerful speech uh, than the final article in The Times, which had to be edited down somewhat. I could not agree with her more completely in what she said. Uh, I uh, certainly uh, am greatly indebted as a writer to whatever uh, input actors and directors have in the process of creating a play or production. I also feel that as an active writer I have an equal amount of uh, uh, contribution to make to their directing and to the directing and the acting of a production and I certainly don't ask to uh, participate monetarily in their rewards. I don't think it's a problem with actors or directors. I think it's (laughs) the unions uh, that seem to be bringing this forward, or some agents that seem to be bringing this forward. And, uh, and it's an unfortunate problem. I don't, that, I don't
2: know. That, speaking. too is for another seminar. Can so much what, to be said. Can thank I say one you. quick
1: thing? Yes. I believe in the insight, the actor providing insight, that the lines are mine. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I write the lines, and I find I write them better than actors do. <laughs> <laughs> At least my play, anyway.
6: Hi, uh, I'd like to ask, uh, Arvin Brown, uh, how important are stage tasks not
7: indicated in the play, and when do they get in the way? Stage tasks? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a wonderful question. Uh, in, first of all, one of the things that I find, this I guess a lot of directors do this, but one of the early things that I do in a rehearsal period is attempt to ignore, for the most part, with the actors, the stage tasks that are already stated within the text, uh, only because I don't necessarily have a way of knowing where that comes from. I will reserve that, that copy myself of everything that's been suggested in terms of stage behavior. And at, at some later point in the rehearsal process, if I find it valuable, um, I will go back to what was originally stated in the script, and, and very often I will do that. I think stage behavior, stage tasks, however we uh, uh, business, whatever term we want to use for all of that, obviously has a a tremendous importance in the final production as long as it illuminates situation and character i think the greatest trap of it in the early stages of rehearsal has to do with the fact that it is a protection you know against the actors exploration of character very often now there are some actors who can work within a physical business and get to a psychological or emotional depth and that i respect that that's a method but very often uh, particularly with younger performers it's a screen, you know. I mean, it's very easy to lose oneself in all of that and not develop, not do the probing that, that kind of has to happen. And then the business is kind of added. It's 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 um, it's not helpful. And particularly if it if it just comes from a director who has some image that this scene should be about sewing, and uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful scene about sewing in which nothing human happens. You know, uh, that's to me the danger. Thank you. Thank
2: you. I think we have time for just one more question. This, uh, is, a, this is a question for uh, Wilfred Leach. The dramatist Guild had a seminar recently, and one of the topics discussed was whether to have a play produced in New York or at a regional theatre. Uh, would you prefer your play opening in a regional theatre, or would you hope or hold out for a New York opening?
6: Well, these days I'm a director, so of course I'm always praying somebody will give me a script that I'm excited about doing, so I want to do it in New York because that's where I am. Uh, but, uh, I, actually, this is more appropriate for the writers here, because uh, nowadays <laughs> I, I direct mi- on
2: Mr. Peelmeyer, what would you say? Uh, I
9: think when you're talking about a New York production, you're also talking about a certain economic future of a play.
4: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, I, I think uh, regional theatres are m- much easier areas sometimes to work with. I think uh, sometimes much more creative things can be done there, and many m- much more exciting things can be done often in regional theaters because Thank there's you. so much Thank pressure you. but oh, could, could I question. add
8: to that may I add to that yes. uh, uh, sure. I just I, I like to say that uh, t- for my part, when a play is done in New york it's the end of work and and uh, the way things are uh in, in our life lifetimes now pretty much uh, uh You want to have lots of regional theaters or lots of, uh, we're not talking about indigenous theater, but theaters out in New York to get your work done. And and when you get to New York with a play, be prepared for, uh, uh, you're moving inexorably toward the marketplace. And and when you get to New York, chances are uh, it'll cost a lot of money to produce it, and 300 to 500 people will come in and write about it and send their articles out and it seems a little beside the point after after you survive all of that to then fix the second act <laughs> it's a terminal
4: one yeah. very quick <laughs> question
8: I'd and I'd a quick like answer
10: to uh, Susan Gregg what is the best advice you can give to a new playwright for his uh, script development
5: get yourself to a dramaturg quick <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay thank, thank you very good. much um These seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. They are but one of the programs of the American Theatre Wing. Today's seminar was on the playwright and the director. And I cannot tell you how often I find myself saying, not enough time and we must go on and and uh, talk and about the theater and listen to the wise words that come out of our panelists but never has it been more so than today in this extraordinary panel of playwrights and directors all of whom are giving their time their knowledge their sharing their words with you the important thing about the theater is that without the word no matter how much the actor puts in, and no matter how much the director says he's going to do with the actors and the play, it does start with the play, and it does start with a word. And so, thank you all for being here, for making that word come alive in that exciting way that only in the theater it could happen. I'm Isabel Stevenson, I'm president of the American Theater Wing, and I want to thank all of you for being here on this seminar are part of our series of working in the theater, and they will continue with the production and with the design awards. Thank you all for being here.
7: Shuffled around, of the action, but was in fact an active, an along it's with miracle. everyone else in the house.